Well, here we go. Um, if for no other reason than my own focus, um, let's pray one more time together. And then we're going to talk this morning about communion and water baptism. Communion and water baptism. We're going to talk about the sacraments. So let's pray and invite Jesus just one more time to come be our guide. So Lord, we love you. We need you. Um, God, I'm thankful for the rain and what a picture it is of, of the way you rain down life and blessings and your love in our lives. Grateful for that this morning. Um, Lord, I'm also aware that I'm sleepy when it's dark and rainy on a Sunday morning and I've had a big weekend. So God, would you, would you just give us some energy this morning? Um, help us to hear and to focus. God, help me to speak somewhat clearly. Um, we love you and just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, so uh, last Sunday was Easter. A bunch of us gathered uh, down by the river at the Cove, had a great time down there. And one of the things that we did together last week was we shared in communion together. And that is something as a church that we do about once a month. And I just thought it would be important to talk about a little more in depth why we do that. Why we do that. I don't want to ever take for granted what that means, what it represents, why we do it. And then moving even beyond the why, God, what is it that you want to do in our hearts and in our midst when we partake of communion together? And then secondly, I want to talk to you guys about water baptism. Um, we're going to have a service in about a month. Um, on a Sunday after church, we're going to go down to the park, cook out together, and we're going to have some river baptisms together. And so, yeah, that's what we're celebrating. We're excited. There's already a couple people signed up for that. Um, and so I just thought we should, we should teach on that and make sure that we're equipped, we understand what baptism is, that we also understand what it's not, and make clear distinctions about what we're doing. So that's where we're headed this morning. You guys ready? You alert? That's asking a little much, Don. Okay, sorry. I'll go with ready, if not alert. We'll take it. Okay, well, let's start with communion. So here's what we're going to talk about with communion. Three things. Three things. We're remembering when we take communion. Something is being revealed when we take communion. And then we're called to rejoice when we take communion. So here we go. Let's start with a familiar passage. This is in Matthew chapter 26. This is one of the places in scripture where Jesus um, instituted the Lord's Supper. He's gathered with his disciples the night before he would be betrayed. And so there they are um, having kind of their Passover meal together. And as that meal was coming to a close, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, we're going to pick up the story. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Amen. First and foremost, primarily, when we are partaking of communion, we are remembering the cross. We're remembering the cross. I love how Jesus gives us something so practical and so tangible as bread and wine. He gives us two things. One is meant to sustain us. The other is meant to bring joy. And he gives us this stuff that sustains us and brings joy as a reminder of what happens through his sacrifice. And so as we approach the table, I'm reflecting on the fact like Jesus did this for me. And the scripture encourages us, Jesus encourages us to partake of communion regularly, together, in order to remember. 
We need reminders along the way. I need a reminder that I have a Savior who lives. I need reminders um, that my sin is forgiven. You know, you guys may be in a better spot than me, but all too often I have reminders of the presence of sin in my life still. And I am so grateful that Jesus reminds me that I don't live under condemnation or guilt or shame, that his mercy is new every morning. And so I come to the table and I remember the cross. I remember the finished work of Jesus and I have hope. The second thing that we do at communion, and I love this picture. There's this story. Is that like a plane flying overhead or is that our, that's our speakers, isn't it? Yeah. We just really like the bass. Got to crank it up. Um, all right, so secondly, the second thing that we do at communion, and then this is my hope and prayer for us every time we gather in the Lord's presence, is there's a revelation that happens. There's a revealing if we'll watch for it. So after Jesus had died, he had risen again, he began to appear to his followers. And two guys in particular were traveling on a little journey called, they were walking on the road to Emmaus. And unbeknownst to them, Jesus joins them along the road and they don't recognize him. I don't know if it's something different about his resurrected body or if they just had some spiritual blinders on or what, but they don't recognize him. And so they're walking on the road and they're talking about just all the crazy things that have going on. And Jesus is even kind of playing coy a little bit like, well, what things? What are you talking about? What's been going on? And so they share about Jesus and how he'd been crucified. And now there's this rumor that he's risen again because we can't find his body. And then it says that Jesus began to take them through the scriptures and reveal himself to them. And one of my favorite parts about the story is when they finish the journey, they invite him in to have a meal with them, still not recognizing him. And watch what happens. Luke chapter 24, verse 30. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. He exactly repeated what he had done on the night when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And verse 31 says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Jesus' desire is that when we're partaking of communion, we're not just going through the ritual, there's the bread and there's the cup and we do this every so often. No, his desire is that we would recognize him right there with us saying, this is my body broken for you. I love you. I'm with you. This is for you. You're on my heart. You're on my mind. I'm here. That we would have a revelation of Jesus' presence in the breaking of the bread in the cup. It's a shame that the things that we repeat and do over and over again lose their meaning. The reason we do them over and over again is because they're really cool. They're great. I love Christmas. I don't ever reach a point where I'm tired of Christmas and hanging out with family and getting gifts. It's awesome. I want to celebrate it. Man, we can approach the table of communion the same way. I get to be in Jesus' presence. He wants to reveal himself to me. There's something else that we're called to do in, in, as it regards to being revealed. We're supposed to get honest with ourselves too. See, when Jesus shows up, he loves us enough to talk to us about where we are with him. And Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we need to examine ourselves when we come to the Lord's table. I'm just going to read a portion of this, but you can read through all of 
uh, 1 Corinthians 11 to get a real sense of what all was happening there. But in verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. He's talking about just being flippant about it, not being reflective. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So when when we have this opportunity to meet with the Lord, the, the consistency and the regularity of coming to the table is we not only have a reminder of Jesus and his presence, but we have, we have kind of a moment in our life where we can stop and reflect. You know, about, I don't know about you guys, but I can get so busy sometimes, and I've, I've blown it in a couple areas, or, man, there's maybe just something that's kind of happened that's rough in a relationship that needs to be repaired, and I'm just about my day and busy, and I'm not taking time to slow down and really deal with that and talk to the Lord about it. But when we come to the, the table we could say, okay, Lord, I, I want to see you in your presence, but God, would you speak to me? Is there, is there anything I'm unaware of that's going on? Guys, there's something I even know about that I need to make right with you. Lord, help me to do that. It's kind of an inward reflection, but it's also an outward reflection. Lord, is there a relationship that's hurt, that's damaged, that's in need of repair? God, I thank you because you humbled yourself to the point of death on a cross. I can humble myself and go to my friend and make this right. Go to my husband, go to my wife, go to my kids, go to my neighbor, and repent. And so it's an opportunity for a consistent reminder that Jesus would reveal himself and he would highlight some stuff in our life that needs to be dealt with. And the beauty is we're forgiven. Man, we recognize it, we confess and repent, and then we walk in freedom and new life. And then I can immediately celebrate that life. Here I am taking the bread and the cup. And Jesus, it's real right now. Like you, you literally just forgave me of that thing. Thank you. Thank you. And so we come to the table to have him reveal himself and to reveal sin that needs to be dealt with. And then number three, we come to the table and we rejoice. Look what transpires on this night. Beginning in verse 29 now, we're back to Matthew's gospel, chapter 26. As soon as he had finished giving them the bread and the cup, he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What's he pointing to? Heaven. Eternity. With him. Jesus is immediately on that night, even as he's getting ready to face the cross, he's already thinking about the joy that's set before him on the other side. He's saying, hey, guys, I cannot wait to celebrate with you again in my Father's kingdom. I cannot wait till that day in heaven when we do this together. And then verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When we, when we gather and we partake in communion, we absolutely should have a sense of reflection and humility on, on the cross, what Jesus did for us there. But the cross led to resurrection life. Amen. The cross is not the end of the story. The cross leads to new life in Jesus. And so even as I'm coming and remembering his sacrifice, I'm rejoicing because I know I've got eternal life in him. And one day, you know, there's those moments, I'll be honest, there's moments where communion feels really alive and powerful. There's moments where I'm kind of doing it. There's those seasons of life where it just, and I'd love for it to always feel like just, you know, Jesus is exploding out of my chest and I feel amazing. But man, there's times where life's just kind of hard and I'm trudging along. And even in those times, I'm grateful for the reminder that there is eternal life in Jesus. 
that there's going to be a day where he won't feel distant ever again. He isn't distant. He feels that way sometimes. But I have a reminder that I'll be with him forever in his presence, and I rejoice. Now, the scripture tells us that they sung a hymn. And I want to just give you a little bit of a flavor of this. So they, they were partaking of the Passover together, and, and it was very common to specifically sing a hymn, and it was a group of psalms from, from the Old Testament. They would sing through Psalms 113 through 118. Sometimes they would even add in Psalm 136. I would encourage you guys, it would be worth taking some time this week and reading through those psalms and imagining Jesus on the night he was about to be betrayed, singing it with his disciples. Now, this, this song that they would sing is called the Hallel, the Hallel. And in that set of psalms, it deals with the Passover, the Exodus, so they're getting free from Egypt. It reflects on God's creation, the work of creation. It has a ton of verses about our salvation in Jesus. It's an, an unbelievable picture of him. And it ultimately even talks about eternal life in him. All of that is wrapped up in those psalms. And Jesus and the disciples are singing them together on this night. So I want to give you a little, a little taste of this. Um, we're going to just read through a few of these verses. Psalm 113, verse 1. This would be the opening line they would sing. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 116, verse 13. I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Think about that in the context of just taking communion with Jesus. I take up the cup of salvation. Psalm 118, verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. A little further down, verse 21. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Are you all familiar with some of these verses that are prophecies about Jesus? They're singing it the night before the builders reject him. He is going to leave the singing of this song, go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then get arrested and taken to a kangaroo court and dragged to the cross by the very people who were supposed to recognize him. But Jesus knew where he was heading. And so they're singing these words. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, I've sung that song on, like, bright, sunny summer days, like, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. But like in the, in the dark night and the difficult season, this is the day that the Lord has made. Our Savior is present and he's alive. And then finally, um, the closing of the song would be in Psalm 118, verses 27 through 29. God is the Lord and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. When we come to the table and we remember our Lord, we can rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the Christ for us. He loves us. He's with us. That word hallel, it means hallelujah. It's connected to the word hallelujah. It's the same root. We translate it praise the Lord. I want to read this quote to you. This is from Larry Crabb. He wrote a book called The 66 Love Letters. And in his reflection on the Psalms, um, kind of the way that he wrote this book is he wrote 
some of the love letters, some of the things in Scripture, and wrote them as if they were from the Lord to us. So there's some creative liberties here, but I want you to, to hear this quote speaking about the Psalms. This is from Larry Crabb. The Psalms are not an aesthetic. They are not a cup of hot chocolate on a cold night. They are the prayers of someone lost in a dark wood, shivering in bitter cold, unable to stand in fierce wind. They are the praise that flows from that person's heart when he abandons himself to me for deliverance, when he trusts that my hand has grasped his and that I am leading him home very slowly but very surely. In the Psalms, I reveal what life is like for the person who lives in the storm with his eyes fixed on me. Guys, we're not doing a ritual when we partake of communion. We are remembering our ever-present Savior. Whatever our circumstance, whatever we're going through, seasons of joy or seasons of trial, he's there. And he longs for us to remember the work he has done. He longs for us to see him present with us, to reveal himself. He even longs to gently bring us through our struggles and our sins and to forgive. And he invites us to rejoice. He's good. He's present. He loves us. That's why we take communion. That's how we take communion. Amen, church? Amen? All right. Let's transition a little bit now to baptism. Water baptism. What is it? Why do we do it? Let me begin by just reading the story of when Jesus was baptized. Let's start there. So we're going to take this from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus was baptized and in being baptized, he gave us this beautiful reflection of the gospel of what he came to do. He came to stand in our place did Jesus have any reason to be baptized? Did he need to come to John the Baptist to repent? No. He wasn't standing there because he needed to repent. He was standing there for you and I. He was standing in our place in that river. And as he's baptized, it's this beautiful reflection of what he came to do. In that, in that context, in that culture, Jesus was like submerged. That word baptized literally means submerged. He went under the water and he came back up. And when he came up, something miraculous happened. A voice declared, that's my boy. That's my boy. This is God saying, I'm proud of him. I love him. I like him. He's awesome. Check him out. Here's the beautiful thing. What did I just say a minute ago? Jesus was standing in our place. Crystal, this is what you were talking about this morning. When we align our lives with Jesus and we say, God, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I want to be baptized into your name. We reap that same benefit. 
we reap the benefit of that sense of assurance of God. You are declaring and speaking over me that I'm the beloved child of the king, that you're with me, that you're proud of me. And guess what? Your spirit comes and dwells within me. It's this beautiful picture of salvation. It's a picture of salvation. Let's check this out. There's a couple verses that, that solidify this a little bit. Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, that we too might walk in newness of life, dead and raised again. Peter gives a similar picture in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this and now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a picture of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it is now a picture of our death to our old life, our old man, and that we are risen into new life. We are raised with Christ. We are identified as God's kids. His spirit comes and lives inside of us. This is the beauty of what water baptism pictures. It's a beautiful glimpse of that death and that new life. Y'all got that? Y'all see that? Is this familiar with you guys? Familiar to you guys? Now, Romans talks about what saves us. And I want to pause here for a couple of minutes and talk about the distinction between our salvation and water baptism. And so Paul writes again in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, and he, he lays out a clear path of what it means to be saved. He says in Romans 10, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, the reality of our salvation and the picture of baptism bring into light these two incredible components of our salvation. We have the moment of acceptance. God, I'm yours. I belong to you. Jesus, I acknowledge that I need you as my savior and that you stand in my place, that you died for my sins. I receive that gift that you've given me. It's a public declaration. It's a moment of acceptance. But it moves us into then a lifetime of following Jesus. Part of the beauty of baptism is he doesn't stay under the water. We don't stay there. It's not just about washing something old away. It's about being raised up into something new. I love that God uses the picture of water. I mean, I was talking with somebody about this within the last week, I think. But that picture of like on a day when you've been working outside. Like I don't know any of you, any of you guys struggle with allergies like mine are, mine are terrible this time of year. And you get outside and you're mowing the grass, you get really dirty, you're just, you're just nasty, right? You're, just, you're covered in grass clippings and y'all know that feeling of just like, y'all are looking at me like, dude, what are you talking about? You're gross. Y'all know that feeling when you just cannot wait to take a shower? Yes. I mean, it's like, it's worth more than like a thousand bucks. I just want a hot shower, it feels so good. That feeling of just being washed clean, you feel incredible when you come out on the other side. God's, God's intentionally attaching that picture to what life is like with him. Yeah. God, you wash away the junk, the crud, all the just nasty yuck. It's gone. And I get to enjoy new life in you. Yeah. And that's the picture he gives us. And we move into this new life of following Jesus. 
This reality produces an assurance of eternity and it also gives us a new life of grace right here, right now. That's what we're meant to walk in. See, our faith believes in the fact that we're assured and our faith equips us to walk out the grace, the life that God has given us by faith. I walk that out. I believe that his grace is present in my life. God has invited us into something. You know, we were singing those words about God's kingdom come and his will be done. That's a personal invitation for God to be in charge. That's all, that's all that is. There's a lot of overcomplications about what God's kingdom is. You want to know what it is? He's king, I'm not. That's his kingdom. And then I get to tell other people how cool it is to let Jesus be king of their life. And hopefully they're seeing a, a pretty neat reflection of that in me. Not a perfect person, but a person who knows I'm loved and forgiven and I get to love on other people. And when I blow it, I get to reconcile with other people. And when we let the world see that, it's a pretty cool kingdom to be a part of, of life and joy and peace in Jesus. The problem is we've confused this idea of Jesus being Lord and we've made it into being about earning. It's not about earning. It's about enjoying. We are called to enjoy a life with Jesus. The problem is we've forgotten that some of the most enjoyable things take some effort. I'll give you an example. If you know me, you know I like to eat. I really enjoy it. It's one of the highlights of my life is eating a good meal. It's a lot of fun. Well, often we'll throw some wings on the grill. Now, when it's been a long day and I'm being lazy, I grab a frozen bag of wings from Kroger, I grab a cheap little bottle of marinade, I dump it in there, give it a good shake and throw it on the grill and it'll be fine, right? I've, anybody else had wings that way? It's fine, it's good. But man, when I've really got time, I've got this fun Caribbean jerk recipe. You've had that. It's good. I can't take credit for it. I just found it online somewhere. But like, it is like 18 different things go into this little marinade. And half of them we don't keep in the house normally. I have to like plan ahead. I got to make a trip to the store. I've got to go down aisles I didn't even know existed to find this stuff. It takes a little bit of work. It takes a little bit of effort. It even costs a little bit. But man, when we get that home and we get that marinade going and we let it soak into that meat, maybe even like overnight, those wings are awesome. They're awesome. They taste so great. If we could begin to view our walk with Jesus like that, we'd be so much better off. He hasn't called us to striving and earning and fight our way to heaven. That work is done. But he's like, hey, if you want to begin to experience the life I have for you, that's pretty great. You can have it right now if you'll let me be king. It'll take a little work. But man, you're going to enjoy it. That's what he's inviting us into. And so we get to experience things like this. Jesus saves me from darkness, and I now get to live in the light. The light is great, but I have to be willing to be exposed to be in the light. So I have to actually trust that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ, that I don't have to live in guilt and shame. And so I can bring that stuff into the light and be free. Instead of living the American dream of pursuing happiness, I can receive from him abiding joy. Live your life pursuing happiness and see how far you get. That is a cold and empty road that will leave you unsatisfied. And even the little tastes that you get, they'll last but for a moment and they're gone. But in Jesus, 
we can have ever-present abiding joy. That's what my Savior brings. Through him, I don't have to be a slave to sin. I can enjoy freedom in Christ through his spirit. He doesn't free me from sin to make me a slave to rules. He offers me something different altogether. He offers me freedom and a new life led by his spirit. And that life is described as producing all kinds of really incredible things that this world is desperate for. Things like peace and love, kindness. It's good stuff. That's what he offers. So that's what happens in salvation. Now, when Paul is describing this picture of confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart, he doesn't say anywhere, oh yeah, and make sure you get water baptized or it's null and void. Scripture does not say that. The problem is we've connected things that we're told to do as obedience and somehow attached them to the issues of salvation. I can go to heaven if I haven't been water baptized. In fact, the very first person that was led to the Lord was a thief on a cross who did not have time to go down to the Jordan River with Jesus and be baptized. And what did Jesus say to him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. All right? Now, should we be water baptized? Yes! Absolutely. In fact, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? We get to choose to do that. And it's a reflection of the work that Jesus has done in our life. Check this out. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul's writing, and he's, he's addressing all of these like kind of legalistic things that there was confusion about whether we, should, we have to do these things or not. And he was saying, listen, all these things are just a picture. They're a shadow. They're a glimpse of the reality of Christ. And so check this out, Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So why do we do it? We do it for a few reasons. Jesus did it. That's a really good reason. Jesus was baptized. He stood in my place and did that. Secondly, his followers did it. In fact, when Peter got up on the day of Pentecost and he preached and 3,000 people got saved, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Man, that must have been an awesome baptism service right there. Can you imagine watching 3,000 people coming into God's kingdom and getting baptized all at once? It's incredible. So his followers did it. And ultimately, we were told to do it. It was part of the Great Commission. We're familiar with Matthew 28, where it talks about the Great Commission. In Mark's gospel, there's a similar passage, verse 15 and 16. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus said, go baptize people. So it was a command of Jesus. His followers did it. He did it. We should be baptized. Now, where things get confusing is there's, you know, like denominations. And a lot of different churches with a lot of different views. And some of them feel like you need to be baptized in their place. And some of them feel like you need to be baptized in this exact way or at this exact age. And it muddies the waters. And the reality is, that's not just a problem of our day. That was already happening right at the beginning. Paul has to write in 1 Corinthians, 
Um, we're going to skip a verse, Jacob, and go to the, that second one uh, in chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul's talking about this mindset that's happening amongst the people where they're identifying with different leaders in baptism. Well, that guy's the one that baptized me. And so he says in 1 Corinthians chapter, 12, or chapter 1, verse 12, what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? See, there's sarcasm in the Bible, John. Dude, we can do this, man. <clears throat> Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to be baptized, uh, sorry, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And baptism is about identifying with Jesus. He's mine, I'm his, and I want the world to know it. Yeah. I, I love the beauty of the fact that baptism is like a public declaration. Mm. Publicly saying, I'm with him. It's a way of identifying yourself. It's an act of obedience. It's a public declaration. That's what it is. So let me talk to you about what we do. <clears throat> I believe, excuse me. <clears throat> There's no like non-awkward way to just stop in the middle of talking and drink water. It's going to be much better than hearing that frog in my throat over and over again. Okay, sorry about that. So here's what we do. Here's what we believe. Um, I believe kids can be baptized. I believe kids should be old enough to have made a personal decision to follow Jesus to do that. Now, my mom was raised Catholic. I was christened when I was a baby. But as a probably 12-year-old, do you remember how old I was? probably around 12, but as a 12-year-old, like, I knew, I knew what I believed, I knew Jesus was my Savior, and I chose to be baptized. It, was, it meant something to me. It was a personal decision, and I, I think there's real power in individually choosing that. Now, I do want to talk about, um, about, about the issue of kind of infant baptism and stuff. There, there is some, some reality behind that. People would bring their babies to Jesus even and have him bless them. And I really believe that the scripture teaches that there is, is an age of accountability that a kid reaches. And prior to that, they're covered. I believe as parents, we are there covering. I believe that children who are not of the age to make a decision for Jesus are going to heaven. And so what's, what's happened at infant baptism, it's sort of meant to cover that. But I just, in Jesus, that's already covered, is what I want to say. And so I think it's great, it's good to bring our kids. We, we hear when there's new babies born in our church, we'll bring them up. We play, pray a blessing over the kids, over the family. We commit as a church to walk alongside and support and encourage that family and be a reflection of Jesus to that child as they grow. Like, we believe in that. But I believe baptism very specifically is, is a conscious decision that you make as someone who has said, I belong to Jesus, I've given my life to him, and I'm ready to acknowledge that publicly. And so we can do that as adults. We can do that as kids. I've known people who did it when they were really young. It didn't mean a whole lot to them, or they, they just didn't really remember it and decided later in life to do it. Like, that's okay. It's not, it's not bad to get baptized a second time if you'd like to do that because you're just going, hey, this, I, this really means something to me now. Great. Do it. It's a, it's a public declaration that Jesus is your king. So those are some things that we believe about baptism. That's what the scripture teaches about baptism. And we're going to have fun celebrating together in May. 
So go ahead and mark your calendars for May 21st. We'll announce it over the next few weeks. But after church on a Sunday, we're going to head over there. I don't know if we've picked an exact time yet. We'll get you details soon. But we'll head over to the Cove, grill out together. Maybe I'll make some Caribbean jerk chicken. I don't know. We'll see. I feel like I have to now. All right, so we'll grill out together. And then we're going to celebrate with some people who've committed their lives to Jesus that want to declare it publicly and be baptized. Does that all make sense to you guys? I don't normally do like Q&A time on a Sunday morning, but I would be willing to answer some questions if there's any like, I don't know, confusion or a question that somebody has. We good? Awesome. Well, Jesus is great. He loves us. And I'm thankful that he gave us some sacraments, some reminders along the way as we're walking out this life to remember who he is and what he's done for us. I'm grateful for communion. I'm grateful for water baptism. He's good. He gives us those practical, tangible things to help it make it a little more real. All right, well, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for your heart. We're grateful that you're our Savior. Thank you that we can remember you. God, that, that you want to reveal yourself to us regularly. God, that we can rejoice in you. Lord, thank you for baptism, that we can publicly declare that we're yours. God, thank you that you want to publicly declare that you're ours. That's pretty cool. You love us. God, I just pray that these truths would sink down into our hearts. Lord, if there's anybody in this room, um, God, that has a desire to be water baptized, Lord, would you just guide them into that if that's something that you're calling them to? Lord, if there's any people in this room that are wrestling with, with even just their, their decision to make you Savior and Lord in their life, God, guide them into that. Um, Lord, we pray for our kids. Lord, help us as parents be equipped to share some of these truths with our kids and when they're ready. God, that we can, we can walk them, um, walk them into relationship with you and celebrate with them. God, we love you. We commit our hearts to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.